Well, when Tony talked to me about coming and sharing and just realizing this kind of um, this time that we have together, it's in, in some sense it's very short, and uh, we want to make sure that we have a chance for the questions and the answers and so forth. It just uh, it made me realize that what I want to say, I want to be able to say in a in a concise way and and get to the point, get to the most important and the root things in terms of marriage relationships. And so I'm going to share from a passage, if you want to, you can turn to it. It's 1 Corinthians 6. And we'll take a look and we'll go through a few verses there. 1 Corinthians 6. But I, I just want to explain ahead of time before we actually do that. Um, some of this is uh, doctrine, meaning that it, uh, it explains a lot in terms of what our relationship with the Lord is like. And you might read this and you say, well, what does this have to do with marriage? Um, well, uh, once we're said and done with this, I think we're going to realize what the most important things are, even in relation to practically how we live once we understand what God's purposes are for our lives. So many times in the Word of God, way before anything is said as far as practically what we're supposed to do to live out our Christian life, uh, before that, we read about what God has done for us. And we read about what the relationship is that God has inaugurated for each one of us through Jesus. And that is so essential. And and we're going to just see that marriage is no different. Um, so much of it, uh, a good marriage, I think, depends upon, uh, in essence, what has happened be previous to that in each person's relationship with the Lord and what they bring to the marriage because of Jesus and what he has intended and his blessing upon their lives. And so uh, we're going we're gonna to jump into this. We're going to go through this in about half an hour, okay, and we'll be done. But I think it could be one of the most significant things uh, that, that we'll, we'll, we'll consider in terms of how to, to walk out what God's intentions are for us. And I want to say at the beginning, being a pastor now and actually having people come in and, uh, and counseling them and realizing some of the struggles that go on, even more so, some of these foundational truths are critical to whether or not people are, are actually struggling or victorious, whether they're, they're really seeing God's hand in their life that's blessing their marriage, blessing their family, or whether there's battles going on. And so uh, we'll just we'll make some comments as we go through here on, in relation to that. I'm in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12. Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Just a, a general principle for his life, he had learned that even though he has freedom in the Lord, he wanted to make sure that he wasn't controlled by anything. That nothing would uh, master him or come in and take him away from what God's intentions were for his life. And we're going to see here in this passage that he's going to talk about uh, relationships. He's going to talk about what God's in, uh, ultimate uh, intention is for relationships. And uh, some of the, the, the false ways that the world 
uh, constantly bombards us with, and I, it doesn't matter if you're an uh, unbeliever or believer, there are things that come into our lives that are pressures to take us away from the simplicity of what God's in, uh, original intentions were. And, uh, and here are some warnings in terms of how our lives are supposed to be lived and, and uh, dangers that we, fall, we can fall prey to along the way. So let's, let's look at this. Uh, we have a lot of freedom. We can let other things control us that shouldn't, okay? And you remember uh, uh, Romans 12:2. do not be conformed to this world, okay? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, I'm assuming that most of you here, or probably all of you, are Christians. You know Jesus, and you've made a decision sometime in your life to follow him. Well, as Christians, uh, you have an enemy of your soul. You also have an enemy of your relationship with one another. Because... God has some very specific things that he wants to happen in a marriage relationship. And the enemy tries in every way that he possibly can to ruin those because our marriage relationships are critical to ultimately what God's plans are. And if the enemy can come in and ruin our relationship with one another, it has a direct impact on our own personal relationship with Jesus. In some senses, they go hand in hand because a marriage relationship is to be a picture, ultimately, of what the relationship is supposed to be like between us and the Lord. We are the bride, the church, and he is the bridegroom. And walking around this earth are examples, types, of what that relationship ultimately was supposed to be. So if the enemy can ruin marriage relationships and marriage uh, or in families, he's doing something to mar the image of God in our lives. He's marring what God's intentions are. And so you would figure that in a sense of comparing here earthly things to heavenly things, on the earthly sense, there's nothing more pure, pure and beautiful and reflective of God's glory than marriage. So the enemy targets it and the enemy goes after it to ruin it. And you know, I think we can be naive sometimes. We can be naive to not recognize that when you get up in the morning and you have a challenge with your wife or your husband, if there are things happening that kind of are undermining and you're not as close as you once were, you don't necessarily put that to any kind of spiritual battle. You don't necessarily think, well, what's that got to do somehow with the kingdom of God? You think, oh, well, this is just my domestic problem. But realize that even where you live and your relationship in your own household, even that is a battleground where God's either going to receive glory or he isn't. And so one of the first principles we want to talk about before we get into this is that, you know, when we start our day, we shouldn't be naive to think and it, is, it would be being naive to think that somehow uh, all the battle happens when we're going to go and share our faith, all the battle happens when we're going to consider ministry, when we're going to consider things of the church. No, the battle starts right where you're at. And what happens between 
a husband and a wife and what happens in a household because that can undermine everything else. And it's important that we realize that this is an area of, of a real struggle and battle. And God has ways for us to understand what the truth is and how we're supposed to live our lives. So let's take a look. I'm going to read 12 again. All things are lawful for me, but all, uh, not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will, will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and stomach, and the stomach is for food. But God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now, so think about that for a minute. Paul says, the way that God's made us, this stomach was made for food, okay? And it was designed to digest. It was designed to be a part of that process. And its whole function is to help in being able to bring nutrients into our lives and to give us physical strength. So the stomach was made for food and food for the stomach. They go hand in hand with one another. But he says here that that's true, but God will do away with both of them. There'll be a time where we won't need that anymore. There'll be a time in a heavenly sense that somehow what we experience now here, we won't need it there. And the purpose of the stomach and all of what is involved with that, will, it will cease. But he's bringing it up for this reason. If you make some sort of an analogy and you say, okay, or a correlation between the stomach and food and food in the stomach, and you then try, and try to do the same thing with bo the body and sex, or more specifically, free sex, immorality, some people think that the body is for sex and sex is for the body. In this world, it isn't about marriage, all right? It isn't about God bringing two people as one and making them one flesh and one union before him and that there being one individual that he's intended them for and wanting to bless them and bless those who come from their womb and create a family, okay? In the world sense, it's so often that sex is singled out and it's seen as a pleasurable experience. It's seen as the ultimate pleasurable experience. So you should pursue it for its own sake. And it doesn't matter who it's with. And it doesn't matter if it's with multiple partners because it's just a sexual gratification that is just as legitimate as when we're satisfied with eating food. And Paul is trying to tell us here that is not the case. When it comes to our sexuality, God has done something amazing and beautiful. And he has high, high intentions when it comes to that aspect of our lives. So he says, food is for the stomach and stomach is for the food, but God will do away with both of them, yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. What does he mean? Now this is where I want to want to catch bring us to something that I think that is so important that we understand. You know, when we were born again, when we were saved, something dramatic happened. If you're a Christian and you're a genuine Christian, the Spirit of God came into your life, all right? 
And you were changed, the Bible says, from, from the depths of who you are. Second uh, Corinthians 5.17 If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is a new creature. Okay? Old things passed away, new things come. You were made new inside. So think about this. You became new inside, and, and in Romans uh, chapter 6, it says we were baptized into, into Christ, and we died with him. Our old man ceased to exist, and we were made new in him. As God raised him from the dead, he raised us up in Christ. So we are new inside. Something else happened. In Romans 6, it says the body of sin was done away with, meaning that before we had no option but to sin because we were slaves of sin. But when we were saved, the Spirit of God came into our lives, we were made new. He changed us, made us new creations inside, and then actually the life that he gave to our mortal body was actually a result of that change that he had made. In other words, when you were created, all right, when you were created in your mother's womb, life came to you by the very breath of God. God gave you life in him. From that time to the time that you were saved, you were living a life that was breathed into you by God, just like it says in Genesis that he breathed into Adam and he became a living soul. But the problem is, is because of Adam's sin, we were spiritually dead. Right? We did not have a relationship with God. So up until the time that you were saved, you were physically alive and you had a soul, but you were spiritually dead. You did not have a relationship with God. Then the message of the truth came to you. You believed spiritually something took place that transformed you. You were born again. All right? His spirit came into you. You became a new person. And now, listen to this. This is the critical part. The life that's in your mortal body exists because of the work that Jesus did on the cross for you. In other words, he redeemed you entirely. And now the reason you and I are alive is not the first birth. It's the second birth. All right? You say, Harry, who cares? Okay? <laughs> Who cares? You know the reason why that's important? There's a lot of reasons, but one is this. From that time forward, you didn't own your body anymore. You were purchased by the Lord. Your life, even your mortal life, is sustained by God. And we're going to read in the rest of this passage the reality that from that time forth, the Lord is for the body and the body is for the Lord. In the Old Testament, we understand, we read about the tabernacle. You read about the tabernacle? It was a tent, and it was a movable tent. And God did amazing things. Remember, the Shekinah glory came into the tabernacle? We always associate that, that tabernacle with heaven and the fact that one day we will be in a heavenly place and we will be in the very presence of God. But the tabernacle also is another picture. 
Do you remember when Jesus came? It says in John that he tabernacled among us, meaning that he was in flesh and blood and he walked with us. He took on flesh and blood. Flesh and blood. He was God in human flesh. Well, guess what? Jesus was giving an example of what ultimately a life with God is like. And God always intended by his spirit to live within us. So when we are saved, when we're transformed, a, a, a miracle happens. You and I become a walking tabernacle of the presence of God. And our bodies do not belong to ourselves, they belong to him. And as we read in 2 Corinthians and other places, he gave us a treasure in earthen vessels. Okay? The treasure is the Holy Spirit, and he dwells in you and me. If you're truly a Christian, he dwells in you. So what's Paul's point here? And I'm going to keep moving here. Paul's point is the, the body is not for sexual immorality. If you're a Christian, your body belongs to Jesus. And what your body is all about is glorifying the Lord. So his, his argument here is, is then, because that's true, be very careful about what you do with your body and what ways come forth from your life. Do they give glory to God or not? So let's keep reading. Verse 14. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up with his power. There will be one day that we're going to have a body like his. But until that time, we still are to glorify God in our bodies. Verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. One of the ways that we are constantly pressured and tried to be pushed into the mold of this world is in the whole aspect of immorality. Now, you know, just because we're Christians, just because we are in a, a marriage relationship does not mean that we're not bombarded regularly. And the enemy of our souls knows that this is an area that can be uh, penetrated and caused uh, uh, to cause compromise in a Christian's life. And th so the media, all forms of the, of the media, what we watch on TV, what we see in magazines, everywhere, there's this constant pressure and um, attempt of the enemy to get us to compromise that we begin to involve ourselves in a, a way that is what God hates, and that is as we begin to allow ourselves to uh, enter into something that was supposed to be a union between, between one man and one woman for, the, for all of their lives. There's constantly things uh, put before us that uh, we are uh, foolish and we aren't, uh, savvy if we don't recognize the fact that uh, people uh, attract other people and that we should be open to the fact that it's not unfaithfulness, it's just a matter of letting ourselves 
really experience the world. And, and on and on those things. And one of the things that I, I felt like we really need to consider tonight, it doesn't matter who you are, these kinds of things are coming your way all the time. And the only way to be true to the Lord and to be faithful to him is to first realize that he bought you with a price. He bought you and brought you to himself by the blood of his son. He gave his life. He yielded up his body that you would become his very own. And as marriage couples, as individuals, you know, when you do give in and you do lust, when you allow things into your life that should not be there, you're not only offending your wife or your husband, but you're offending God. Because your body belongs to the Lord. It does not belong to you. And God has a rich plan for your life. But here's one of the major points, and that is this. We will be successful in marriage, or we won't be, determined by whether we first honor the Lord and what his intentions are for our lives. Let me put it another way. The intimacy that's supposed to be between us and Jesus is critical to your intimacy between one another. You cannot be intimate with your husband or your wife or love them in the way that God wants them to be loved unless first he is the first love of your life. Because you will not have the love you need to give to them if you first aren't established in your own walk and love relationship with Jesus. Some of you know this song. I'll just read the lyrics to it. This is from Phil Wickham, Divine Romance. It says, The fullness of your grace is here with me. The richness of your beauty is all I see. The brightness of your glory has arrived. In your presence, God, I'm completely satisfied. For you I sing, I dance, rejoice in this divine romance. Lift my heart and my hands to show my love, to show my love. A deep, deep flood, an ocean flows from you of deep, deep love. Yeah, it's filling up the room. Your innocent blood has washed my guilty life. In your presence, God, I am completely satisfied. That divine romance is the key to being able to experience the kind of romance that you're supposed to have with one another. And those secret times with the Lord those times of closeness with God himself, learning what he's like and seeing his beauty, as the song said, I think is so important for you to be able to have something to give to your marriage partner. Because a marriage relationship, this side of heaven, is a type of what the relationship with God is supposed to be like. The reality, the ultimate eternal reality is our relationship with God. So what does that mean? That means for this example of what that is supposed to be like to actually work, you have to have a romance with Jesus. You have to have a close, intimate relationship with Jesus. And I'm talking about for guys and girls, okay? That love and that closeness with him I believe, inspires perspectives of one another to realize what that other person is like and be able to give to them 
those unique things that uh, that other person needs. You know, here's another way of saying it. It gets you out of yourself. Don't you find that so often we, we are so limited in what we can give to the other person because we can't, in essence, climb into that other person's perspective. And there's, there's arguments that happen. There's problems. Oftentimes, two people are different in many different ways. So how are you going to have what you need to be able to, in a sense, put yourself in their shoes and have compassion on them? Well, when you have the sacrificial love of God in your life, it equips you to be able to understand them from God's perspective and to give them what they need. I want to read a little bit farther here. Verse 16. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says the two shall become one flesh. And we've, I'm assuming that some of, of this has been covered before we uh, had, if you're, if you're involved in the word of God and you're taught regularly, these are things that, that you understand that this area is particularly dangerous because when you are someone who compromises in a fleshly sense and you let your mind run and you have impure thoughts and you involve yourself in even in a, in a way of fantasy with other people, just the way God has programmed us, the union is bonded to a stranger. We are bonded to someone we don't know. Or worse yet, maybe we do know them. And so Proverbs says, you know, to guard your heart, okay, because the life springs come from that. And the enemy knows that he can actually uh, cause estrangement between you and your, your wife or your husband when you let your heart go the wrong direction. And you compromise because this union is something that God has, has placed within us. It's a natural thing, but it's meant for one man and one woman devoted to one another for life. So he says, listen, don't do that. Whether it's pornography whether it's what you watch in terms of the movies that you allow yourself to see, what you hear, the things that you entertain with your mind. The older I get, the more I realize I'm not talking necessarily like some, some weird thing that only a few people struggle with. It's, it's part of this world. It's part of a world without God. But the thing is, is if you're a believer, you have God. And if you put him first in your life, he will give you the strength to stand and not make a substitute for the, for the real and the original one that he's intended for you. First of all, him, and then second of all, that partner that he has intended that you be with. Verse 17. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. You know, God's intentions always was when he created marriage and made two people one flesh, he always had in his mind that one day he would be one spirit with individuals who, who put their faith in him and who love him. The union of one spirit is much stronger than the union of flesh. If you're going to live the one flesh relationship You've got to have the one spirit relationship with Jesus that you foster and keep the romance going in it. 
before you will be able to be who he's called you to be in the one flesh relationship. Because he created it all. He was the one who thought it all up. You know, the excitement of being a husband and a wife and to be together and to see what God does, the day-in, day-out adventure and willingness to see different sides of the other person and go and live a life that God's intended, listen, that's all in the heart of God. He knows exactly how to bring that about. He's, He's perfect at it. And if you're spending time with him, if you're in his word and you are there in his presence and knowing him, I can tell you, he will give you extra patience for your wife, for your husband. He will extend love and mercy. Uh, I'm just going to read this to you. You're familiar with this verse. But this is impossible. What I'm going to read to you is impossible without the Lord. 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind, and it is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Have you ever sought your own? It's not provoked. I can tell you that in my life and in our, in our home, when the Spirit of God is not in, the, in His place in our lives and, and, and when we have not spent time with Him, the devil takes opportunity and the littlest thing becomes a provocation. Okay, We begin to be pulled into a fleshly thing that is selfish at its core. And God is not honored in it. Now, I shared earlier that you know doing marriage counseling now has just been a real eye-opener. When you, when you see a couple come in and they're struggling in a variety of ways and they can't get along and you start talking about things like, okay, you know, first thing, do you have a relationship with the Lord? I mean, is he real to you? Are you walking with him? And you find out about each person. It's oftentimes the case that you realize that maybe one of them has a relationship with the Lord but the other one doesn't. Or, you'll find things like this. Sometime, they used to follow the Lord, they used to be close with Him, but at some point, one or both of them began to stray from their their bond with Jesus, and because of that, everything began to fall apart. And that is when the trouble really started. And here, let me give you one worse situation. When I've seen married uh, couples break up, like one person is done, oftentimes way before they got to that point, in the heart of one of them or both of them, they got to the point where they, they were deciding to no longer listen to Jesus and decided that, that as far as where they had been with the Lord, they had no heart to be there any longer. And before you can ever save a, a relationship with like that, you've got to bring them back to Jesus first. You can't, there's nothing to give if he is not at the center and the core of a person's life. I, want to, I, I just want to finish this. It says, um, 
does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered. Isn't that miraculous? That last part, to have the love of Christ, means to not take into account a wrong suffered. I think in mine and Nancy's relationship, there's times where there's something on the account, where we do something against one another that if either one of us wanted to keep it and mark it and etch it and remember it, that we could. It's only the love of God that actually can move within us that we can say, even if, even if the other person doesn't ask for forgiveness, to say within our heart, I forgive you. Because Jesus forgave me. How can I hold that debt against you? How can I remember that forever when he has richly blessed me and forgiven me of so much and he's canceled my debt so I can cancel your debt too because of what he's done for me. It's miraculous. It doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness but rejoices in the truth. And the last part, it bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Wow! How would you like to have somebody in your life that continually believed in you, even with many, many things that they saw in your life that were not what they should be, or hoped for you in the direction that you ultimately would get to, and endured with you through the difficulties, the challenges of us all being failing people? Listen, you and I are not perfect. A few minutes we're going to get up here and we're going to answer your questions and I can tell you that the four of us are not perfect. All right? Actually recognizing that and pulling in the Lord, being desperate for Him, that is what we have to be able to actually stand on to have successful relationships. And just going to say a couple last words. I would much rather have somebody who did not know all the 20 principles to good marriages and all the wise antidotes of how to have a blessed relationship or this list or that list and maybe knew all that backwards and forwards of how they should have their life arranged. I would much rather have someone who understood the depth of their need with Jesus and the, the desperate need that they have, that he is to be the core. If he's the core and you have that intimate relationship with him, he'll show you what to do. In Colossians it says, we are complete in him. Because of his fullness, we have everything for life and godliness if we're close to Jesus. And we can love one another in the way that he's intended us to love one another. Well, I'm back in 1 Corinthians 6, and I'm going to go real quick here. It says, But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. In other words, run from it. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Now here's, will you listen to these last two verses? I think that they're very important for us. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and that you are not your own? You're not your own. 
Who, whose are you? Well, in some senses, you're one another's. But before you're one another's, you're the Lord's. And he gives you the, the means to be able to live that out and be who you've called to be. Holiness comes from the Lord. The kind of life that God wants us to live. The last verse says, For you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. We've been bought with that price that we could never ever imagine how much that was in Jesus giving his life for us. So we should glorify God in our bodies. Um, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12, Paul says that Jesus enabled him to fulfill the ministry that he was to fulfill. Okay? Jesus was the enabler. One of the main messages tonight is, you know, in our society, when we use that word enabler, we think of it in a negative way. You know what I'm saying? The way it's used a lot of times is in a dysfunctional family or dysfunctional marriage relationship, one person is an enabler for somebody else. And what they mean by that is someone steps in in somebody's life or does something for somebody else that does not help that person, but it actually hinders them because it takes away the responsibility that they should have for them, their own selves. So there's a host of different ways that that can happen. Where two people do for one another what they shouldn't do for one another and it creates problems. From that perspective, think of this. Jesus is the enabler. Jesus is the one that needs to enable us to be what we're supposed to be for one another. We are supposed to depend upon him in everything and it's right to do that. Now get this. If he is not in that place, you know what's going to happen? You and I are going to expect things from our marriage partners that our, our marriage partners cannot give us. We are going to look to that other person to fulfill us in ways that only the Lord can fulfill us. And as a result of that, rather than being satisfied and content within our hearts, we will never be content with the other person because they cannot fulfill what only Jesus can fulfill. But if Jesus is in his rightful place in fulfilling that area of our life and enabling us and giving us the ultimate things we need in our heart, listen, that other person then becomes the one that gets the overflow of what he does within us. He completes us in a spiritual sense so we have something to give to someone else. You will never be the person that God wants you to be for your husband or for your wife unless Jesus is the person he's supposed to be within you. You can't. That's why when it comes to those who don't know Jesus, to a certain extent I think, how does anyone stay married? How does anyone make it? It's impossible without him being in that center place because the very marriage relationship points to the more important one and that's the one with Jesus. And he makes you adequate to love one another in the way he wants you to. Read this last verse and then I'm stopping. 
It doesn't apply directly, but you'll understand what I mean here. Listen to this. It says, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor performing with his own hands what is good so that we, he will have something to share with the one who has need. The context is if the guy's been stealing and he's been born again, he should be changed and he stops stealing and he goes to work and then he has something to give to someone else. In the context of marriage, sometimes we steal from one another, all right? Because we don't first receive what we're supposed to receive from the Lord. And then we don't have anything to give because we haven't spent the time with him that we're supposed to. And it takes work. It takes work in your relationship with your husband or your wife. It also takes work in your relationship with God. And so this is a challenge tonight. A challenge being in the word, being there in a devotional time with the Lord, meeting with him, knowing him, serving him, worshiping him, as a couple and individually, those are the ways that I think are the cr most critical things for us to be who God has called us to be for one another. So let's pray. Father, um, I, I thank you that when you sent your son, he demonstrated us to us the greatest love because it was sacrificial love. You laid down the life of your son on our behalf that we would be saved. And Father, I pray for us as we think about one another in our daily lives with one another, challenge the, the challenges that come up. God, I pray we would recognize if we are on empty when it comes to our relationship with you and we're, we're operating in fumes, God, I pray that you would challenge us and you would bring us back to that place where you're at the center of our lives. And Lord, I, I pray that we would be willing to submit to you and allow you to have your way in our lives. And Father, uh, I also know that you recognize with all of us the challenges, the things where we are just so off the, off the course. And God, that you would miraculously work with us to help us to learn to love one another and to give to one another what um, first you've given to us and lay down our lives that the other person could be who they've always been meant to be as we are their, their marriage partner. So Lord, thank you for this night. Thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.